listening to Nightlight. Hi and welcome to Nightlight. Well, this is going to be another one of those special shows where you get to meet someone who has an outstanding testimony or story to tell. Now, for those of us who live in countries where we can freely practice and share our faith. It's easy to forget that there are many countries of the world where it's illegal to belong to any church that's not approved and run by the state, and those who do are in danger of severe persecution, imprisonment, and even torture and death. Well, on Nightlight today, you're going to meet a young Christian called Hermione, and hear her thrilling story of how the Lord kept and delivered her in her time of fiery trial. Forging on, I need faith. The faith that keeps my spirit strong. I need faith. The faith that looks to you alone, even though the outcome is unknown. Without faith, I will never stand my ground. Without faith, my destiny will not be found. Without faith. What would there be to get me through? And I will not be able to please you. So when I'm faced today with challenges and change, I'll accept your will. I will give you praise. Knowing that I'm being strengthened as I'm there, and I'll find that in the days ahead, I'll need that kind of faith. That kind of faith Give me faith That's willing to pay any price Give me faith That will endure the sacrifice Give me faith To do what you show me today And then to simply trust you come what may Build my faith Daily as I read your word Build my faith As I obey what I have heard Build my faith So that I will no longer be Surprised when you bring forth the victory So when I'm faced today With challenges and change I'll accept your will I will give you praise Strengthened as I'm led And I'll find That in the days ahead I'll need that kind of faith Yeah That kind of faith Keep my faith From fiery darts that fly at me Keep my faith From the attacks of the enemy Keep my faith Continually exercised As I walk by faith and not by sight Greater faith Faith that is unwavering Greater faith Faith that outlasts anything Greater faith 
One that's strong and will become The kind of faith I'll need to overcome So when I'm faced today With challenges and change I'll accept your will I will give you praise Knowing that I'm being strengthened as I led And I'll find that in the days ahead Lights interview of the week. On Nightlight today, we're meeting Hermon from Eritrea. Hermon, thanks so much for coming on the show to share your testimony. First, tell us a little bit about your country. Where is Eritrea exactly? I can't quite place it on the map. Um, Eritrea is on the eastern part of Africa. It's also called the Horn of Africa. It used to be part of Ethiopia. Um, until 1991, Eritrea won in its independence in 1991 and so got separated from Ethiopia. I see. Well, tell us something about your family background in Eritrea. Um, I grew up in Ethiopia and was deported to um, Eritrea in 1999 during the border conflict between Eritrea and Ethiopia. And I went to Eritrea along with my family. I have lived in Eritrea ever since then, until um, recently when I moved to Kampala. And what's the official religion of Eritrea? Is it Muslim, Catholic? Mostly it's Muslim, but a part of, half of Eritreans are Christians, Orthodox Christians. I mean, not that they have faith in Christ and they understand, but it's part of the culture in my country as an Orthodox Christian. Briefly tell us how you became a born-again Christian. I became a Christian right after my father passed away. It was a new country. I moved to Eritrea, new school, new friends, and I was having a hard time to cope up, and my father just passed away. It was hard because I came from a family where I've always been protected. Um, My father was well off. He had a very good business in Ethiopia, and he just lost everything because of... what happened because of the conflict and because we got deported and so just when I was trying to cope up with it um, he passed away and I was lost I was just trying I was just trying to find a way to leave without my father without the protection without the security and um, I was able to work in in a school as an assistant teacher back then and I met a lady there who was sending her children. She was um, from Burundi and she kept on insisting to go to her house and visit her and all of a sudden one day I just couldn't handle because I was so disturbed. I, I was crying for no reason and because she was in my neighborhood I decided to go to her place and uh, then I have accepted Jesus and my problems and all the complications, things that I didn't understand was happening in my life became clear all of a sudden. So ever since then, I have been a Christian. I see. So how did it come to the attention of the government that you were a Christian uh, so that you were persecuted? What happened that you ended up in prison? 
Um, well, what happened was right after I've accepted Christ, and there were churches emerging in in my country, born again churches, and at the same time the government was collecting people to take to the military to so they serve the government serve as uh, soldiers and um, then they found out that uh, born-again Christians were opposing and were against the fact that people have to serve in the military for unlimited time at the same time the government was trying was trying to enforce all about politics and dictatorship so um, because of that the government decided to close all churches uh, in in the city um, especially um, Pentecostal churches so they were closed and they started collecting people who had Bible studies at their houses all pastors were arrested pastors from different countries were told to leave the country in 48 hours so it was a chaos so it was since then people started doing it underground people started praying at their houses to a point where um, they started training spies they started training people to as security guards but at the same time they trained them so they could find houses or people or steer praying and in, in, uh, cell groups so it became dangerous to actually even meet in houses well, what happens to the pastors or the house church members once they are arrested? How many would you estimate have been arrested and where are these people now? Well, it's really hard to estimate because it's just so many of them in different prisons. Some of them have died in prison uh, because of the way they were being handled there. Some of them are still, most of them are still there, especially especially the pastors. Some of them came out and f- fled from the country in different, they are in different part of the world. So it's hard to say who got out from prison, who's still there, but there are quite a number who are still in prison. Well, let's take a break for a song. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you how it came about that you personally were arrested and imprisoned. For your faith. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. When I was a young boy, my mama used to tell me everything was gonna be alright. But when I grew older, everything was different I faced the world to struggle for the right the right to be free the right to be free the right to in the light. 
from Jason Lawrence, The Right to Be Free. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. And yes, you're meeting Hermone from Eritrea. Hermone, tell us then, how did it come about that you were arrested? Um, It happened when um, I was serving at church and I was helping out with the deaf community, translating um, and meeting in houses. And I, we keep hearing these rumors that people got arrested, people got collected from houses, from churches. I mean, we were very careful on speaking on the phone. Um, when we meet, we don't go in all together, but 
we check first, we check, and one by one, we so that they won't notice. Because anything, any gathering, are they are against it. They are afraid because people might organize themselves against the government. Then it became really dangerous because even members in our church were kicked out of the country, the foreigners, and um, arrested as well. Then I had to stay away from church and stay at home. A couple of times I was told that I, I people, the government or even the police were looking for me, so I couldn't stay at home. I didn't know what reason, but I knew it's got to do with the deaf community. So I had to stay away from my house. I couldn't work because I was afraid they might come and collect me from my workplace. We couldn't pray. We couldn't meet as we used to before. We couldn't go to church. So I decided to leave the country. The government doesn't encourage education. And I only did my high school because after high school, what they expect is to go serve the government for unlimited time until they say, yeah, you can come back and go to university. Even girls. Even girls. So I didn't go to the, to, to the military. For that reason, I didn't go beyond high school. So that was another reason, because I wanted to go for further education as well. Just everything. I couldn't work. So I decided to leave the country in 2008. Um, and then I got caught, and I was put in prison um, in a border between Eritrea and Ethiopia. It was an underground prison, and I was there for three months. So how did it come about that you were arrested? Were you just walking over the border and they spotted you, or did you try to make it through immigrations and they noticed your passport? No, I took a bus to meet <clears throat> what I did. What I'm sure Erit most Eritreans who have fled the country know this procedure, but you talk to people who do this. You even pay a lot of money. I had to pay around $3,000, $4,000 so I get to leave. So they tell you that they will prepare a car to take you from um, part of Eritrean land to Sudan. So what I was trying to do it was from the main city, from Asmara, travel by bus to where they were waiting for me. And then from there, I was expecting for them to wait and we would cross the border. And um, at the border, before I even made it to that city, they were waiting for me. It's a village slash a city. Um, I was caught by the police because that area, not a lot of women, they know the faces and not a lot of women are there because it's a military ba uh, base there. So I got caught. I was beaten up a few times. Then I was taken to, I don't know, it's a prison or it's sort of a small hut in the middle of a desert. And I we were there for 10 days and they were collecting women as well where I was uh, there. And um, How many of you were there? Um, you'll be amazed because we also had mothers at age 60, 50 to 60. Um, so all together, I would say 25 four or five of us and we also had children we had seven children from age two and a half to age seven and you were all together in one hut it wasn't a hut but the hut wasn't it couldn't fit two three people so we left that hut for the children and mothers the rest of us were sleeping outside on the floor 
And when you, when we left, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a blanket. We didn't have all just your clothes and yourself. And so we we slept on the floor. It's in the desert and snakes as well. It was it was dangerous. We were there for ten days. There was no food. I was, I'm still amazed to this day when I think of those days because I was able to last eight days with just a box of Abu Walid, just twelve pieces of cookies. Eight days. Um, water. There was no water, so we did have. I think it's the water they dug from the ground, and most of us got sick. I had diarrhea, throwing up, got really sick being there. And on the tenth day, they came and collected us with a truck, big truck. Gosh, did everybody survive? I've heard because the men were on the same place, but far away from where we were. We were we could hear their voices, but we heard one person died on the men's side. And every night they used to collect people from the men and a woman from the hut I was in. I don't know if they killed them. We don't know if they took them to another prison. But when I was in the city, when I was in Asmara, I we heard rumors. People used to say people disappear from prisons. They take them away and persecute them at the spot. So that's something I'm not sure about. So every night you would wait for this truck to come, not knowing if your name would be called, and they'd also take you away. Yeah, every night staying in, the, in that prison, not only、um, the hardship, but because they used they used the hut as a place where they can interrogate interrogate you, ask you questions, so you can name some people to arrest. And so every day, they would call names. Some of them would get beaten up so that they get to speak the truth. And every night, a truck, a pickup truck, would show up at the scene and collect people. And we don't know where they take them. And so we don't sleep. We just wait every single night for our names to be called, or for something to happen. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what's coming our way. To, to the point where we had to cry every night because someone else just became a victim. That someone else was just been taken. And what happened next? After ten days, they brought a truck and we were transferred to another prison, an underground prison. But I would say it was much better prison because we get to have two breads a day and lentils. It was an underground、uh, prison, of course, but at least it's not. It's safe because we weren't afraid of snakes anymore. What do you mean by underground prison? It's basically a, a hole they dug underground. It's a hall, a big hall where they can fit around forty people in each cell. So from above, you you cannot see anything. You can't tell if there is any prison, but underground there are holes to fit prisoners. It's basically built for men. Politically arrested men or people who are there for life, but they kind of、uh, put aside oneself or women who are arrested in that area. Let's take a break for a song. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, Hamon, how you felt the Lord's presence in this dire situation, and then how He delivered you from it. 
someone loves me I know someone hears me I know someone helps me during the most trying I know someone sees me I know someone cares for me Because someone leads me Through the darkest night He created the heavens He created the sun He created the mountains He created everyone He created the moon And the stars that shine so bright He created the day to live in And for sleep He created night Tears I cried. He gave me real love. He gave me peace deep down inside. I know this world isn't a dream. Creation speaks so loud and clear. If this world really exists, then I know. For sure he's here I know someone loves me I know someone sees me Because someone helps me During the most trying times And I know Someone hears me I know someone helps me During the most trying time I know someone sees me I know someone cares for me Because someone leads me Through the dark
you can listen online or download your favorite nightlight shows, as well as other radio programs and audio inspirations produced at Radioactive Productions. Visit our website today at radioact.org. And yes, please do visit our website. This is actually show 103 in our international series. So if you haven't heard them all, and I'm sure you haven't, there's lots of great shows you can go back and listen to. Back to you, Hermon. Now, when a child of God finds themselves in an extreme or dangerous situation like you found yourself in, the Lord promises to be with us in the fiery furnace and to give us grace in our time of need. Tell us now of some of the victories, some of the testimonies of how the Lord came through for you to encourage you in this situation. I told my testimony to a friend and she asked me saying, would you go through it just for the sake of the experience? And I said, yes, I would go through it just because, just so I found what I found. I found something that would last forever in that prison. It's something that the Lord has made it for my own good. He has turned it all around just to, so I become this person I am now, just so I become a person He wants me to be. So I'm grateful to that, to the Lord. Of course, before the way I saw God was you ask Him, you remind Him things in your life. It's all about praying my about myself, about my family, and what my needs are. Ever since I went I was in the, in that prison, not a single day. I remember praying for myself. I mean, normally I you would pray for God to help you, for God to let you out, just so many things to pray for, but not a single day that I remember praying for myself. And I started hearing God's voice. God wasn't just someone who gets to fulfill your needs. He's not someone who gets your things done but he's really someone who knows what you desire, knows what is best for you, that to, to a point you don't even need to ask him. And not just that, I found out that my purpose is just way beyond than my selfish needs. I found out that the reason that I'm here, the reason God created me from the first from the very beginning is because for his own purpose, for, not for mine. And I know, I, I found out that um, God has bigger plans for me than just worldly um, needs, than just what's what I see every day, than just material. And even education is something that I really, really wanted, of course, and God knows that, and God knows I need it. But it was more than that. I God wanted me to be a solution to other people. God wanted me to be to pray for other bigger things. It could be for another person. It could be for a sick person. It could be for a country. It could be for Israel. Just bigger things. And that's what I've learned. I am a solution. That's why God created me. That's why God has put me where I am. And that's when I started praying. And not because I have to. But God reminded me, he told me what to pray for. And I prayed for people that I don't know in in prison, people that I wouldn't normally pray for, to the point where I found out God spoke to me one night over this guy who his cell was next door to to what I was. And he had HIV and nobody knew, but I did because I was told. 
he told me to pray for him particularly and he was there for life and he 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 lost his mind he's lost his mind to a point where because of torture because of being there for too many years he has no hope and he knows he had hiv so he was seen as this person who's hopeless and everyone looked at him as he might even be a danger to himself and the next morning as i prayed and the next morning he sent me some food because i we weren't allowed to have an outside we weren't allowed to cook for ourselves or make get an outside food we, we they fed us a prison food which is bread and lentils but he did so he sent me some food and he greeted me and he knew my name and that gave me a sign that really i did pray for something that i was supposed to pray for um and i had a prayer and fasting in prison not that it made a difference because i we were fasting the whole time and two three other girls joined me during those three days of prayer and fasting and they have accepted christ on the third day and um few days later i was out of prison because of the resolution the new year's resolution the government had and i was out but i did i did have my time in prison a time where i grew i have become a person that god really wanted me to be and i came out stronger than ever well that's wonderful do you have any other testimonies or personal lessons from this experience that you'd like to share Well um there were men prisoners who were hopeless at that time at the same time the women as well but especially the men because they were harsh with the men they weren't allowed to wear shoes cuz they walk around with no bare with bare foot and because it's a desert it's really hot so it's hard to stay there before i left the person i told you about the guy with an hiv he made an excuse saying that he's um he's going to talk to a prison guard or something and he's waited for me outside just to say goodbye and he said something he's a muslim and that was really surprising and he said pray for me as well he knew i was praying he knew i was a christian and that's something that i've always always carried with me you know you don't have to say it but people do tell do tell by the way you live by the peace you have all those nights staying with us with the girls in prison you hear cries you hear different stories their background and every night especially at night I, for some reason there is hopelessness and before we go to bed someone has to cry and uh, you know say things and give up on their uh, you know on life and the whole time they watched me and i had my peace i had my prayer i would say my prayer and go to sleep and quite a lot of them would come up to me and ask me what was it they asked me why aren't you afraid why aren't you um like us basically and i did testify to them saying it's jesus is the lord i i got a bible from a person i knew i found someone i knew in prison in the, uh, on the with a man side and he sent me a bible a very small one and we had to be really careful with that because if, he, if they catch us then it was the end but i did find a bible i had a bible and uh, the bible start started going around between the girls who were arrested with me even though they weren't christians 
every night、um, they used to gather and read the Bible. You said that if you were caught reading the Bible, that that was the end. What do you mean by that? Well, if they catch you reading the Bible, either they persecute you, the spot they they kill you, or then you're there for life. So it's this is it's two options. There's no way out if you're caught.、Um, if they know that you're a Christian, that's it. So by reading the Bible, you were literally putting your life on the line. It's the biggest felony you could ever commit. You know, I think people in other countries, myself included, we can take freedom of religion for granted, and I think very few people are aware that Christians are suffering for their faith—the same faith that we are able to enjoy freely in this country could cause us to be beaten up, imprisoned, or even killed. In another country, and I think testimonies like yours really help us to appreciate the freedom that we enjoy, which sadly we do take often for granted. And I'm sure it must be wonderful for you to come to a country where almost everybody is a Christian. You must feel a tremendous sense of freedom. Yes, yes, it's something that's new to me because I've always been oppressed when it comes to my faith. When I went to Khartoum, Sudan, they had this big congregation. It had microphones, and they were praying and worshiping God. And I remember the first time I joined them, my heart was beating, and I was looking around for the police to come and get arrested. And that went on、uh, until even I came here and I went to church. And the same thing, they were loud, and everyone get to worship, pray in tongues. That's something we were ever, were never able to do in my country. If you pray in tongues, then even the Christians would find it abnormal. And、um, yeah, in Kampala as well,、um, people get to、uh, practice their faith with freedom, and that's something I'm sure all Eritreans who are back home. And I'm doing this. Especially because of them, because I remember those days where we were we lived every single day under fear, fear of you don't know what's coming. Every single thing you do, you don't know if it's right or wrong. You don't know because there's just too many excuses they bring. The government brings to arrest people. So I know they're still living under fear back there. I know pastors. People that I know who are still in prison now, and it's important that Christians all over the country, Christians all over the world, pray for Eritrea, pray for those who are arrested, because they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are responsible for each other. Like I said, what I've learned a lesson in prison is not to be selfish, but look around, be able to pray for those who are not privileged. So I think it's time for us to. To stop being selfish and pray for other people, pray for brothers and sisters who don't have the who don't have the privilege to do so. And God does answer to prayers. It's important. I pray for you. On my knees, I start my day with you. For I know this is a way that I. Above, and so I take the time to stop my hands, to still my heart, and really plead for you. For I see the desperate need 
a strength to you and help you carry on. So now I'll take the time to stop my hands to still my heart and really pray for you. As you fight to move ahead in your plight upon your bed for the sorrow in your heart and all troubles that surround I come before the king right now petition him to bring you now the strength you need the faith you lack and for his love to abound and yes I pray for you I give a choice part of my day to you and I have the faith he'll make a way Take the time to stop my hands, to still my heart, and really cry for you. Pour out my heart, empty my eyes for you. Fully aware that he who died for you now lives to strengthen you. And so I take the time to stop my hands, to still my heart. Cry for you as you fight to overcome, or you struggle with someone, as you battle with some task that's far too great for you to win. I ask him on my knees right now to bring the things you need right now for light to see his loving hand in all your going through. And Dear one, I pray for you On my knees I start my day with you For I know this is a way that I Can help you rise above And so I take the time To stop my hands, to still my heart Take the time to stop my hands, to still my heart. He'll surely fight for you because he loves you. classic song from Jerry Palladino, I Pray For You. Well, you're with Nightlight and we're listening to the very interesting and inspiring story of Himon, who was imprisoned in Eritrea. Himon, you were telling me that in prison you learned how to hear uh, the voice of God, Jesus speaking to you. Yes, yes, I did. Um, the first time I heard God's voice was the guy with HIV. And um, Three months after three months staying in prison, um, 
I was forgotten. Like nobody knew about me. Nobody cared about me. Nobody came up to me and say, or even the prison administration, they didn't acknowledge me. And I didn't know because even the girls who came with me into that prison was, were taken to another place while I was left behind. So I didn't understand what my story was, but I was quiet. I didn't say anything the whole three months. And God wakes me up again. And I hear this clear voice saying, get up, stand up and go talk to him. And normally what you need to do, because it's really strict, um, you had to ask permission if you can leave the prison compound to talk to the uh, prison guards or even the uh, person, the head of the prison. But I didn't. I just stood up and walked out, walked um, straight to his office, which is far from where uh, the cell, my cell was. And um, nobody spoke to me. I mean, there, there were soldiers all over the place, and I was passing by there, there, and it's not normal for a woman to be there because there are no women soldiers around there. And they didn't speak to me. I just walked all the way there. And he was speaking to, he was outside his office, speaking to this truck driver who brought, who came to bring water for the prison. And I just waited. And I said to him, okay, I know I will be punished for being here. But let me say what I have to say, and then you get to punish me. And he smiled and he asked me, what are you doing here? And I told him, I've been here for three months and I'm the only one who's left behind. And I don't know what the story is. And he, he asked me, he, no, he was really surprised because he's never seen me. And one thing I was really grateful was when I was back in the city, I would hear rumors that if you are a woman and prisons away from the city then they get pregnant they abuse you just so many things to I just hear stories I heard so many stories that I was afraid that might happen so that's why I was always in my cell reading books I was never out and um, somehow the women were supposed to cook food for the soldiers there um, make tea so it was our responsibility but somehow, during my stay for the three months, not even a single day that I was out to cook. So I was hidden. He's never seen me before. And that was, he got really surprised. And I told him what was, what's going on, what's my story. And he said, what's, he asked me what my name was. And I told him, and he said, uh, well, we just uh, had a meeting over your case. And uh, we don't understand why you were leaving your country. And I told him that's because I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything there. And he, he asked me, what what assurance do I have that you might even try again? And I just said, you don't have any assurance, but I didn't have any choice. So he dismissed me just like that. I didn't think he heard me right, but he just dismissed me. So he calls another soldier and he calls him and he's asked him to take me back to my cell just so I don't get punished. And I was back in my cell. And a few days later, the prison investigator calls me to his office. And I go there and he asked me, saying, Did anyone t ask, tell you that we were having, a, we had a meeting over you that day? Because you must have heard from someone and that's why you, you spoke to the, the prison head. And I swore to him I didn't. I just went. 
and he was really surprised. And he asked me if I can afford 10,000 Eritrean money, then they would let me go. And I said, yeah, I think I can. And I, I was able to communicate through someone who was also a prison guard through a small letter to, to pay the money. And I, they let me go in a few weeks. I was back home. And you also said that right before that, you had a vision of your house church praying for you. Yes, I, I had a vision right before I left. I saw, I was part of a cell group. It's a, a prayer group. And the same woman who helped me to know Christ, who testified, who, and it was at her house. And I saw people around, like I even saw her furniture, the way it was arranged and so many people around the furniture, and I saw someone holding a candle, and I even know, I, I knew his name. It's someone I've never seen before, I've never met before, but I knew his name, and I saw them praying for me, especially that person with candles, was praying earnestly, like I could see tears, and I could feel like he was praying. And um, I was, you, because I have been in an all-night prison before, I, f I thought, okay, it's maybe I'm just thinking about it, you know? And I went back home when, I, when they let me go, and I went to that woman and asked her, do you know someone by the name um, Fatawi? And she says, yeah. And I asked her, did you have an all-night prayer this, that last Saturday? It was on Saturday that I saw. And she said, yes, we had an all-night prayer. Did you pray for me? And she said, yes. And I asked her the furniture, and I told her everything. And she was really surprised I got everything right. And that's when I knew there is more to, to it than just being a Christian, than just calling yourself a Christian and enjoying life. That's when I knew the more you grow, the more there is a lot to discover um, with your relationship with Christ and the more stronger you are the more he 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 gives you he anoints you he he speaks to you the more you spend time with him the more closer you feel to him to a point that he's he's he talks to you and he tells you to go and what to do what's coming next what to pray for just closeness and security and so much peace as well you're not you don't look at what's around you. You don't look at what the situation is, but instead your eyes are set upon him because you know he's, he's taking care of you. So, Hamon, tell us, how did it come about that you were eventually able to leave your country the second time? I had to pray for a year. I had to wait and pray and get all the signs from God. And I've grown because then, and now I know how to hear his voice. Now I know when, when it's time to do something, when it's what's right, what's wrong. Now it's easy. It's not, um, it's not that I'm just trying. If it works, fine. If it doesn't, I'll pay the price. But this time, when is the right time? Is it the right thing to do? And the second time I knew it was the right thing to do, I knew it was time as well and um, I it was hard because 11 days we were in a desert traveling from uh, Masawa that's the the beach the port and from Masawa all the way to Sudan it took us 11 days 
but it was the safest and I had to take the long route. Um, after 11 days, we were able to make it to Sudanese land. We did face some problems in the Sudanese land. They robbed us. They took some money from us. And um, one of the soldiers, the police pointed a gun at me and shouted something in Arabic because he knew I was a Christian and he asked me if I spoke Arabic and I said no. That was very... Um, I was really scared for my life because he had a gun pointed at me and he was saying things in Arabic. He, they don't speak English. And all I did was I was nodding. I don't know what he was saying. But then we gave them some money. We had some money. They collect, we collected... Um, so they wanted $2,000. So altogether, we were able to give them that money and they let us go. I stayed in Sudan for two months and was able to get my passport in the Eritrean embassy. Went to the Eritrean embassy, they gave us a passport, which was <laughs> unexpected. Then uh, came to Kampala and now I'm working in an international school as a librarian. sharing with us your experience. Is there anything else you'd like to say or is there any way that people can help? What do you personally plan to do now? Has the Lord showed you what he wants you to do? Yeah, well, I know my purpose now. I know where I'm heading now. Um, I know that my calling is to be a voice to those who don't have a voice. I know that Life isn't all about material. Life isn't all about getting what you want, having a family or a house or a car, what people, most, most people give values to. I know now that my purpose is to reach those who are underprivileged and especially the Eritreans, especially Eritrean orphanages, children, the deaf community who gave me so much. I, I know that in the future, God will help me because he spoke to me personally and I'll be able to open a non-profit organization, Christian organization, who gets to reach to those who are underprivileged, especially children, especially orphanages in Eritrea. So that's something I'm looking forward to when the time is right, of course, in his own time. Thanks, Simone, for being with us on Nightlight and for sharing your very inspiring testimony. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, just let us pray for Eritreans. Let us pray for 
those who are still in prison. Um, let us remember those who have lost their lives because of the gospel, because of the word of God. And let us learn a lesson from them as well. Life isn't just about privilege, isn't just about materials, but truly being a Christian is more than that. Being a Christian is dying for his name, giving, not being selfish. Like being a Christian is being all about Christ, spreading his word and saving people, becoming a solution, becoming an answer to those who have a question becoming a comfort to those who are sad. It's not just about being all about you, but it's more than that. Okay. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. In this loving family Yes, I know this is where I want to serve my Lord I will find the others Who are lost and covered By the blinding ways of the world I see now That there's more, there's a better life I have reason now, I can hold it in I wanna scream it out But now I'm free, cause I believe And I met my Jesus I'm not alone, now I can live With all my heart I wanna give Now I'm free, cause I believe Nothing can find me now I have hope, I have faith Cause I found my Jesus This is Simon signing out and looking forward to being back with you again next time for another Nightlight. Bye-bye. Nightlight.